great morning of singing praises to God this morning. It's one of those mornings I wish I didn't have to get up and teach. Thank you for not commenting. All right, so um, it makes me feel wanted. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 1. And uh, we're going to jump off right there. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, okay, take the one from the chair in front of you. Take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, we would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. While you're kind of turning, inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along. And so while you're kind of doing all that, i got to do a little bit of church business this morning. Uh, and it's some stuff I'm kind of excited about, uh, even though it's businessy. okay? Uh, I wanted to bring to you attention uh, on the at the Connect Center, for those of you who are interested, is our proposed uh, 2013 uh, year budget that we put in front of the members of the church. We're going to vote on it on December the 16th, I believe. I think that's two weeks from now, in between the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. We'll have a membership vote at 1030. Uh, a couple things, though, that I want to talk about in that, because, you know, hopefully our finances are partly or should be a reflection of what we believe God is doing in our body. And, and guys, we have a lot to celebrate. And so, you know, if you've been a financial part, a donor at Coastal or someone that makes tithing a regular part of this local church, first of all, let me say thank you. And uh, God has just continued to bless us. And, you know, looking back at 2012, man, we have a lot of really neat highlights, things kind of going on behind the scenes that maybe you're not aware of. And so I thought it might be fun as a church to kind of celebrate some of those this morning. Uh, as you saw and you came in, uh, you probably saw some orange steaks for those of you parked over here in the dirt. Okay, that means we're getting ready to pave our parking lot over here. We've been working towards that, it seems like forever, okay, but it's finally happening, and uh, and so in the next couple weeks, we'll be breaking ground, and that's going to be muddy. So let me talk practically for a minute, okay? Practically, that means we're losing about 30 to 40 parking spaces as they're working on this. We're getting 75 or 76 paved, okay, uh, but it's going to be about half at a time that we can't use, and so uh, our neighbor, Mr. Ned over here, has been very, very generous to let us park over here, but we really got to be in about parking back over here in the gravel, and our parking team is going to do an excellent job. I know of getting us all squeezed in. I think we can do it, but you're going to have to walk a little further for a few weeks, okay? And I hope that doesn't keep you from coming and worshiping the Lord. So, uh, but financially speaking, and I've shared this before, uh, when we built this property, one of the things I learned in York County, it generally costs about $1,500 a parking space. Now, that's not just asphalt. It's, it's engineering and water flow and all that stuff. And so uh, our bid came in at about $90,000. It doesn't include include um, uh, landscaping, okay? But the good news is, here's the cool part, okay? You guys have been so generous this year, we're going to plop cash on that, okay? So thank you for that, and, you know, I haven't stood up here and done a fun, bunch of fundraisers, you know, the Lord just is providing, so thank you for your regular donations. Another highlight, as you guys know, um, We've been able to set aside about six months of what I call living expenses, you know, cash flow for the church. So it keeps us from getting in a bind and Pastor Sean getting up here and bleeding for money. Okay, I don't want to do that. And, and we're not in that position. So again, thank you uh, for being a part of that. We've been able this past year to, to um, add several staff members, which I know for me as your pastor has alleviated a ton of stress and behind the scenes administration. So thank you. And, you know, Pastor Jim and Bethany Lay and, and some new staff members. Uh, uh, this past year, and and then this come here in about the next couple weeks. Uh, one of the things we're going to be able to do, we were, for those of you who were here last year, we were able to do this again last year. Uh, we always budget for our missions partners, and I've always shared with you that one of our dreams 
at Coastal uh, is to, to give away 10%, just because we ask our members to tithe, right, and to donate 10%. We as a church want to give away 10% to our missions partners. And so last year, we, uh, the, the, uh, the generosity of our church was more than we anticipated, and so we were able to bless our missions partners with a sizable year-end gift. Uh, and so we're going to do that again this year because it's just been a great year. So it's exciting, and thank you guys. And so uh, well, I'll get that information in front of you so you kind of know, hey, who is it and how much? I, we're working all that out as the year comes to a close, okay, But uh, the financial year. But and, um, thank you. And, I, I mean, our missions partners, they call, many of them called us and said, man, you blew us away. You know, we're in a kind of a, a, a year, a couple of years where people are cutting things, you know, and we've been able to bless and support them. So thank you. Okay, is that good? All right, now, going forward, let me share. Yeah, clap, but there's some good stuff about 2013. All right, let me share a couple of those. As you know, we're looking to hire a part-time missions director. So that's in the 2013 budget. Um, and so uh, continue to pray for that. We're starting that search team, and we're getting to work on that. I'm praying for that person. And the reason that's important to me, and it's an overflow of my heart, is because I don't want to be a church that just writes checks to missions partners. I want to be a church that does missions. I want to be the hand and feet of Christ out in the community. And this person is going to help us organize and unleash us, you know, because that does take some administration behind the scene to unleash, you know, seven, 800 people in the community. And so, you know, we want to be a part of that. And so we're praying for that, and that's part of that budget. The second thing in next year's budget that I think is really, really neat. Uh, and as part of this is 2012, we were able to refinance our mortgage. Uh, we, but when we built this building, it cost us $1.8 million. To this point, we've pretty much just been making the mortgage payments. I think maybe we've paid down about $100,000 of that. Um, but most the mortgage payment has been about $11,700 a month. Uh, we were able to refinance that and uh, save the church $1,600 a month just on the insurance payment. And next year, what we're going to be doing is we're going to double our mortgage payments. We're kind of rounding off and looking to make about $22,000 a month payment. And what that will do for us, church, is uh, Lord willing, if we continue to go forward, uh, we will have this building paid off in about seven years. Okay, so isn't that good? I mean, and so we want to be debt-free, free up our resources. So I'm really excited about that. Those are a couple things about the 2013 uh, budget that is in there. On the 16th, for those of you who don't know this, we vote. We'll gather. We'll vote. We vote without discussion, okay? But it's not because we don't want your, your questions answered. So if you have questions, get the budget on the budget is the ministry leaders and why they've proposed what they've proposed, and you are more than welcome to contact the ministry leader and say, hey, why is this money in there? Why are we doing that? And hear their dreams and their heart, okay? But when we gather here, you know, you know we're just going to vote without discussion, okay? That's how we do it at Coastal. It's, it's, to me, discussion allows the Satan to have a foothold to divide us, and that's not what we want to do, okay? So we want you to have your questions answered and, uh, and do that. So good stuff, right? Okay, so I'm excited about that. Thank you for your generosity. You know, we had probably you know, on the spiritual side, and you guys have seen that, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 30 baptisms last year, people declaring Jesus is Lord. We had over 400, or almost 400 people in our small groups for the first time ever. I mean, I could just go on and on. We fed hundreds of people through our food ministry. Uh, they're up to probably feeding three to 400 people a weekend when they do the food pantry. I mean, we're just seeing God continue. There's some new ministries being birthed in downtown ministries, just neat, neat stuff happening. So, you know, thank you all, and I'm eager to go forward. All right, James chapter one, I've rambled long enough about 
about that, okay? Uh, I, whenever we get to the budget part in business meetings behind the scenes, like an elder board, I kind of glaze over like, oh, is this really important? But it is important, and I'm excited about it. James chapter 1, all right? I've been doing a series on hymns. I've called it hymnology, and uh, this, this, this series, this small little series I've been doing is kind of birthed out of, you know, seeing what God is doing, especially in some of our college students as, you know, I have the joy and the privilege of going down on the college campuses from time to time and teaching some of their uh, collegiate ministries and seeing kind of this groundswell and this desire among our college students to to sing hymns. And it, it strikes me as funny because my generation, like, we split churches to stop singing hymns and sing contemporary stuff, right? And and But there's a reason that these hymns keep trickling up in our hearts and for literally 100, 150, 200, some 500 years, you know, um, we, we looked at a mighty fortress, almost 500 years, you know, we're singing these songs together as a community. And, and I love that because it reminds us that this thing that we do, this Christianity, it's not just you and your little generation, but it's connected through history and generations of people that have been followers of God. In the early 18, in the mid 1800s, there, there was a businessman by the name of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a Chicago businessman. And in the great Chicago fire, he, he lost almost all of his business. And in that fire, he lost his one and only son to the fire. And so because his family was grie- grieving, they decided to, to do a little getaway. And so Horatio Spafford loaded up his wife and his four daughters on a, on a, on a ship, a French ship called the Ville du Havre. And he loaded them and they decided to go to Europe and then to England where they were going to be a part of one of the great crusades of D.L. Moody. And so as they went to board this ship, to the Ville du Havre to go to Europe, a business opportunity came up for Horatio Spafford. And so what he decided to do was to place his wife and four daughters on this ship. And he said he would join them a week later as he stayed behind in the States to take care of some business. On Saturday morning, November 22nd, 1873, at 2 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, the Ville du Havre got rammed right in the middle by another ship called the Loch Urn. Think about the odds of that. It took approximately 12 minutes for the Ville du Havre to sink, killing 226 of the 313 passengers on board. As the Ville du Havre sank... It took the lives of Horatio Spafford's four daughters. Only his wife remained. When she reached England, she sent a telegram to Horatio that said, Saved alone. Horatio got the telegram. He knew what had happened, of course, through news reports. And he boarded the next ship and headed across the Atlantic to meet up with his wife. Somewhere in the middle of the ocean, Horatio Spafford was made aware that he was over the approximate waters where the Ville du Havre had sank. And Horatio Spafford penned these words over that area that was once a, that was a watery grave for his four daughters. He wrote this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or... 
when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is what? Well, it is well with my soul. You know, I... For 150 years, the church has been singing these words of Horatio Spafford that were birthed out of incredible trials, incredible difficulties, some of which none of us in this room have ever gone through, some of which you're sitting in this room and you're going through the middle of difficulties right now. And you can relate to Horatio Spafford because you realize, man, my finances have been taking a hit. And my family, I've lost a family member, and the holidays for me are not quite as cheery as they used to be because of the difficulties of life. And during the shock series, we talked about how life is broken, and we shouldn't be shocked by that, but that doesn't always make it easy. And it doesn't make life uh, maybe the, 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 the cupcake journey that many of us thought it would be. And for 150 years, we have joined with Horatio Spafford, and we have sang, regardless of my circumstances, it really is well with my soul. And in James chapter 1, which is kind of our jumping off point, I want to make a couple points that I think will help unpack why Horatio Spafford was able to write such strong, bold, encouraging Heartfelt words in the midst of tragedy because he understood the words of James chapter 1 that says this, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if troubles come your way, is that what it says? What's it say? That's not very encouraging, is it? (laughs) Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. For you know that your faith is tested, and and when your faith is tested and your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I want to pull out three great points that no matter where you are and when troubles come your way, maybe you're here this morning and things are going great and you're having a great holiday, so I can guarantee you that troubles will come your way. So if you're in the middle of it right now or when they come your way, James gives us an encouraging word to help us get through it and see what God is doing. The first thing I want you to see is that James says you need to be governed by joy. He says when when troubles come your way, Consider it an opportunity. The, the word there means that, that, that this, you, your worldview is such that you see an opportunity for joy. You understand that trials are something that God allows for you to stretch yourself and be more like Christ. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But it's an opportunity for joy. The great philosopher and theologian Brad Pitt when interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine, was once asked about inner peace and joy. I want you to hear this. He was asked if he might find inner peace, and here's how he responded. He said, hey, man, I don't have all the answers yet. He says, the emphasis now is on success and personal gain. Then he says this, I'm sitting in it. He's talking about success and personal gain and wealth and all the stuff we all dream about. He says, I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who has everything. I know, and I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Church, 
we got to be careful that we don't buy into what the world thinks will bring us joy or ultimately happiness. By the way, joy is not happiness, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But we have, we, we have to be careful. We, we can quickly buy into what everyone else in the community thinks will ultimately bring us joy. If we buy into the fact that stuff brings us joy, then what happens is when there's a financial crisis or there's a financial pinch, suddenly we lose all our joy because our worldview has been focused on something that can never satisfy your heart. And Brad Pitt says, listen, I'm telling you, even when you have all the stuff, you still wake up with you. All right. It doesn't matter what count your sheets are. Right? Okay. Let's wait. There's probably one more they'll get that in a minute. All right, anyway, so... My wife just got some new sheets, and she goes, these are like whatever count. They are so soft, and I got them on sale, and I was like, whatever. I just don't spend too much on sheets. But anyway, so. <laughs> Church, joy is not something money can buy. Joy is, joy is not an emotion. Joy is not about prestige. Joy is not about your idea of what could and should be. And, and James here says, when you go through trials, it's an opportunity for joy to come out. So the question then is, what is joy? Well, joy is two things. It is both a choice and it's a focus of your mind and your heart, or what I like to call worldview. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul, he says, he's talking about the grace of God and all the things God is doing. He says, all these things that God is doing is for your benefit. And God's grace reaches, more, as it reaches more and more people, there'll be thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So here's his big picture, right? That God would be praised in all things as the gospel spreads to every tribe, tongue, and nation across the hearts of all people. He says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are what? What's he say? They are small and what? Won't last very long. What's he talking about? He's talking about his lifetime. He says, my lifetime in the grand scheme of things, the grand scope of eternity is just this little thing. It's just a vapor. It's small. It doesn't last long. Listen to this. Yet, in other words, this short time we're here on earth, yet this produces for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. And will last forever. So don't look at your troubles that we can see now, but rather, ready, here's focus. Rather, fix your gaze on the things that cannot be seen. Church, our focus needs to be on the things that are eternal. And it's very easy because everything that the world and consumerism and your internet and your TV and your radio and media, everything that throws you is on the temporal. You need newer, shinier, better, fitter, whatever, you know? And then you'll know joy, and then you'll know happiness. And Paul says, man, you've got to be very, very careful not to fall in that trap. You've got to grab hold of your thoughts and make sure you're not focused on the things that are seen, because the things that are seen are temporal. Even your health, and, and we can get caught up, and we should be as healthy as we can for as long as we can for the glory of God and to spread the kingdom, period. But if it's just to be fit and keep yourself, you know, whatever, I'm going to tell you something, there's a funeral coming your way no matter how healthy you are. Why? Because your body is a temporal thing. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about why that's important, that, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're now implanted with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Spirit, that, the things of the Spirit that lives for eternity. But the things of the flesh and things of this world, man, they are temporal. And so Paul says, don't fix your gaze on these things, and on things that can, can, uh, but fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see, they will last forever. And I fall in the same trap where, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fixated on the things that are seen. 
And I'm fixated on the here and now as if that's all consuming and all important. And Paul says if we're going to go through trials and we're going to see them as an opportunity, we need to fix our gaze on the internal. Over the last couple of years, I've been using a term, ready? The term has been this, zoom out. Step back and see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Have a long-term view of the things of God. And that is where joy comes from. Because joy understands that, that the things that we're going through, their moment, I, I love some of the older versions of this, uh, verse 17, where it says, for our present troubles are small. Some of your versions say, for our momentary and light afflictions. The stuff we're going through is, is it's short term. And Paul says that joy will only rule your life when you zoom out and you see the big picture of what God is doing. You change your focus and your mindset. And you have a different worldview. And as followers of Jesus, we understand that we are doing something that has eternal purposes involved. And we zoom out and we focus on the eternal. And I'm going to tell you something. The, the more, more heavenly-minded you are, the more eternal-minded you are, the more your life will make an impact. And the more your heart and your, your spirit will exude joy when you go through trials. And I believe that Horatio Spafford had this vision, had this worldview. And that's why even in a very short time, he had lost his business and his five children. He was able to write, man, it is well with my soul because God is doing something bigger. The second thing I want you to see out of James is this, is that trials help you discover your metal, literally, help you discover your metal. In James chapter one, verse three, it says, for we know, for you know that when your faith is tested, the, the word testing there is the same word to describe the purifying process of precious metals, right? In fact, many of you in this room this morning, you, you have a precious metal on, right? You've, you've come, you're wearing a, a necklace that's gold or silver or some other precious metal or, or earrings, right? Um, uh, maybe you got something on your tooth, right? Some gold in here, you know, it's precious metal, maybe... Maybe you got one through your nose or your lip or, you know, belly button. I don't know. Okay, but it's a precious metal, right? It's a precious metal. And that metal didn't just show up, right? It went through a process. It was scooped out of the ground and it was covered in filth and dirt and things that, that you wouldn't spend a whole lot of money to purchase, and then it went through a testing process, a fiery process where, the, where all the garbage was burned off and what was left was a pure metal that had value, value to you to spend your hard-earned dollars to purchase. And James uses that word to say that you're, the, the, the value inside of your heart and life is your faith in the things of God and testing puts you through that to refine that so that, so that it becomes even more precious and and it's and it's something of more worth and your faith gets tested i don't know about you guys but but i've been the innocent victim of the infomercial right how many of y'all have been the innocent victim of the infomercial i, I had a couple where uh, i was looking around my house this week and i found in my house billy blank's videos, cassettes, you know, VHS tapes, the Billy Blanks Tybo workout. And I mean, he is fit, man. I mean, he looks great. And, and I fell victim to the Billy Blanks Tybo workout. Another, probably my greatest victimization of all times, there was the, the health rider. 
How many of y'all, anybody here ever purchased the health rider? It was this thing with very large handles and like a bicycle seat and, and you put your feet forward and you pull it. And as you pull it, you kind of do these crunches on this health rider. And I remember the infomercial well. I mean, there was this strapping, hawking young man that said, I, he told me, he said, I get on the health rider 15 or 20 minutes a day and I don't break a sweat, he said. And here was the kicker. He said it was fun. I like to have fun, you know. And so I purchased my health rider, and I did it once. And I did break a sweat, and it wasn't fun. And I still don't look like that guy on TV, you know. The great thing about the health rider, though, for those of you who ever purchased it, it had really large handles. And my wife used it conveniently to dry her sweaters on. It was great. She just hanged them. We sold it to some other sucker at a yard sale. So anyway. You know, if you're going to build a great body, and some of you in this room, and you're really fit, you know, and how does that happen? It takes a lot of work, right? It takes resistance of weights and training and, and discipline to get up early in the morning and run. And, you know, I know some of you guys that are athletes at some of the local colleges, you know, I hear you talk about it, man, I got to get up at six in the morning and go train, you know, and that's part of it. If you're going to be fit, and, and James is saying it's the same thing with your faith. If you want to have a faith that can really honor the Lord and go through difficult times, it's going to go through testing, and it's going to go through trials. And by the way, it's one of the reasons when, when you're walking with God and you're journeying with God, how many of y'all have ever had this experience? You go to a retreat or some a men's retreat or some kind of campus retreat or a women's retreat, and you go to the retreat and you make a resolve, right? Or maybe there's a church service where God's speaking to you. You know what? I'm going to get involved in a, in a small group ministry because that needs to be part of my spiritual discipline because Pastor Sean made it clear to me that's part of the ways I'm going to grow in Christ. So you make that resolve. I'm going to go on Tuesday night to the men's group or the women's group or the couples group. And what happens that Tuesday night? Your entire family goes in the shambles when you get home, right? And you're like, oh, I'm never going to be able to go tonight. I'm just, I'm too busy. The kids are sick or blah, 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 blah. What is that? That's the te- It's an opportunity to say, you know, I'm going I'm to push through because dis- spiritual discipline is important. You're going to get tested. That's why after we do a baptism, I always say, let's take, please commit this week to pray for these folks because they've stood up and they've made a a profession of faith that Jesus is their Lord. They've made that public and and, and there's nothing more than the enemy will love to do to test that. And And what we pray about is not that we don't get tested, but that that's an opportunity for their faith to grow. And it's an opportunity for them. And, and, and the more you go through the test, the next time that same test comes along, you know you're prepared because your faith has been through it and now you're ready. Because those muscles, if you will, they've been worked and they've been stretched and you've been disciplined and your faith has been tested. And so your faith grows. I want you to imagine that you're Horatio Spafford. And the captain of the ship that you're now sailing on to get to Europe to hook up with your grieving wife knocks on your bunk and says, hey, listen, we're, we're about over the spot where the Ville du Havre sunk. And so you go above board and you look over the waters that were the watery grave of your family. You take out a pen and a paper and you, what? My question to you is, what would you write 
I, I have some journal entries when I've been through difficult times. It doesn't often reflect it as well with my soul. And Horatio Spafford, I think, understood these two things, that joy is a choice, joy is a worldview. And he understood that, that testing was an opportunity to, to, to test your metal and bring out the stuff that's really in there that's good and eternal and spiritual. And he went through that and he was able to write some words that still encourage us to this day. And the final thing I want you to see this morning out of James chapter 1 is the product of trials. I want you to see what, what is produced. In James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, James writes, For you know that when your faith is tested, ready? Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Endurance means that you won't quit. Endurance means that you're going to persevere. Endurance means that even though you may not feel like it, you're going to keep on going. And James says these trials that you're going through is an opportunity to prove that you're going to endure. There's a great little story in Mark chapter 2. The story is... uh, where Jesus is in a house and he's teaching and his popularity at that point has grown and he's so popular in the home that he's teaching. The home is packed. People are everywhere where he's teaching and they're outside. You can, I, I always envision that they're, they're, they're listening into the windows. They're, they're three, four, five deep outside this house. They just people you can't even get in. And there's four guys that have this buddy who's paralyzed And these guys are convinced that if they can get their paralyzed buddies to to Jesus, that Jesus will heal him. And so in Mark chapter 2, they come up to the house, and the house is packed, and they can't squeeze through. And it would be an opportunity for those four guys to quit. It would be an opportunity for those four guys to look at their friends and say, you know what, there's just no way we're never going to get there. But these guys, they, they don't quit. They say, I got an idea. Here's what we'll do. We're going to go up on the roof of the house and we're going to dig a hole in the roof and we'll lower you down into the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine this for a minute. Imagine for a minute that Jesus is standing here teaching at Coastal Community Church. It's just so packed. There's so many people here that there's just no room for this guy, to, for these four friends, right? And so these guys decide to go up on the roof and they start tearing through the roof of our building, Okay. I mean, this takes some time. It's not going to just happen in a second. I mean, they're ripping holes, right? Now, what does Jesus do during that time? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but I I imagine he's just kind of sitting there watching. Like, you got to be kidding me, right? (laughs) Lights start shining through. And I'm sure there were all kinds of people in that audience that had all kinds of reactions to what these four guys were doing, right? There were people standing there like, man, this is just an interruption to the ministry of Jesus, you know, when are they going to get done and get on with it? They saw it as an interruption. There was probably the building committee, right? The building committee's like, I don't know who's going to pay for that. That's going to be needing to be fixed right there. I don't know, right? There were some people like, this is just foolishness, right? And then there were the lawyers. Who knows what they were thinking, right? You know. And as this man is lowered to the ground, 
and his four buddies, they endured, and they went through all they had to get through to get to Jesus. When he was lowered to the ground, Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Jesus, this is Jesus, seeing their what? Faith. In the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Jacob that that God changed his name. Does anybody know what his name was changed to? It was changed to Israel. And all throughout history, the people of God are kind of umbrellaed under the name Israel. You know what the word Israel means? It's interesting because God didn't name his people to love God. That would have been a great word, right? Or to worship God. We're going to sing to God. It could have been the people that sing to God. I mean, that, that just makes us warm and fuzzy. Could have been the, he could have renamed his people to have joy in God. To have peace with God. All these names he could have given his people. You want to know what he named his people? The word Israel literally means to wrestle with God. Of all the names. I mean, that's kind of ugly and dirty and gritty and strenuous and difficult. I mean, I know people that wrestle. I'm like, why? You know, that's a tough sport. Golf, much easier. Hit and walk, right? You know, wrestlers. And I'll tell you why that is. Because some of you are here this morning and you're going through tremendous health issues. And there hasn't been a physical healing. And you keep praying for it and you keep hoping for it. And by the way, I have really good news for you. Your, your afflictions are momentary and light and there will come a day. It may be an eternity. It may be here on earth, but it may be an eternity where you will be healed. But in the meantime, here's what encourages me about you. You come in here and you choose to worship God regardless of how you feel, even though he hasn't touched your body and healed you yet. You wrestle with God and I believe God, Jesus looks down on that and says, seeing your faith. Some of you in here, you know, your, your family's in complete turmoil. Christmas this year is not going to be what you'd hope because there's people not a part of the family anymore. Maybe you did a funeral this year or the year before or 10 years ago, and it still hurts. Yet in the middle of that, you don't, instead of becoming hardened to the things of God, you cling to the things of God. You wrestle with God. And I believe Jesus looks down and says, seeing your faith. Your finances are a mess because the economy stinks and we keep telling, being told it's getting better, but it's not for you. And your finances aren't getting any better. But you come in here and you gather corporately and you worship God and you're holding on to God and you wrestle with God and your name is Israel. And Jesus looks down and says, seeing their faith. And according to the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some of you, man, you're, you're, you have taken that name, and when I see you and I know your story, I'm humbled by you. And I go, wow, because I see your faith too. And so when we go through trials, man, it, 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 we have an opportunity to endure. And, and then James says, and let that happen because it develops into Christ-likeness. The word, says, the word is endure to be fully developed. To, to grow in maturity. At Coastal, we use the word, our vision statement is to develop authentic followers of Christ. And I love the word, I love that whole phrase, but one of the words I love in there is the word develop. Why? Because we don't become like Christ overnight, right? It, it's a process. And if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, right? And when you first get saved, you know, you first come to Christ and the, the whole doctrine of justification and all that, you know, and, and man, you're fired up. And then the first thing, and after a little while,
why you go through this desert time. And the desert times are really important because that's where you see if you're going to endure and become fully developed. Not everything is a spiritual high all the time. And it's in those desert times. By the way, Moses, before he was really ready to do the great things that God had for him to do, he had to spend 40 years in the desert tending sheep, wondering, where's God? And James says the the trials are an opportunity to to be fully developed and to be developed into what? To be developed into Christ-likeness, to to the doctrine is sanctification, that it's a process that we mature in the gospel and God continues to reveal things and we continue to repent and we continue to believe the promises of God. We wrestle with God. We cling to God from beginning to end. And that maturity develops character. Last night after the service, I was talking out in the parking lot to somebody in the church that's a cancer survivor. And they're like, man, that sermon was for me. I I remember that process. And I asked them a strange question. I said, would you go through it again? They said, without question. Without question. And so to bring this this sermon full circle, church, as, as we follow Christ through difficult times and we sing together with generations past, it is well with my soul. We have to remember that we do that by keeping our eyes on our Savior, Jesus Christ, from beginning to end. Because Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us, it says, let us run with, here's that word again, let us run with what? Endurance. The race that God has set before us. How do we do it? We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. How do you do that? I mean, what does that mean? Keep our eyes on Jesus, right? What does that mean? Well, I believe it means what you're doing here this morning. You keep your eyes on Jesus no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it's difficult. You're saying, I'm going to gather with my church. I'm going to sing praises to my God. I'm going to learn from his word. I'm going to continue to trust. I'm going to continue to cling. I'm going to continue to believe. I think it means you journey in community with other people. You don't quit out on your community and smoke and say, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going to join with others. I'm going to go through this with the people of God. And I think it means you serve people. You connect, you grow, and you serve. That's the process. And those are some very practical things. Keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. You're in your word, of the, the word of God on a regular basis, keeping your eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to what? Finish. The gospel message is the same to the believer and the unbeliever. You better put the eyes of your heart, the focus of your heart on Jesus Christ from beginning to end. He's your only hope to get through this. And some of you in this room, you've gone, you're going through trials, and the truth be told, your, your gaze has dropped a little bit to the junk going on around you. And by the way, I do that sometimes too. And that's why this is important. We gather and we're reminded, keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who started your journey and the one that's going to get you through. He's the finish. He's the pinnacle of our journey. And that's why I love what Joey preached on last week. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's the one that allows us to stand before the Father, period. He's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. I, uh, I'm going to finish with a story. We're going to close with prayer. Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking official in the POW camp, the Hanoi Hilton, as it was called, in Vietnam. Admiral Stockdale was a prisoner from, listen to this, from 1965 to 1973. Eight years he was a POW. 
Over those eight years, he was tortured almost to the point of death 20 times. He never knew when he was going to be released. Never. He had repeated tortures. After his release, he walked the rest of his life with a limp, which he called a stiff leg from all the tortures. He was one time asked, how did you keep your faith over eight years, never knowing if you were going to be released? And this is what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but I would also, also that I would prevail in the end and turn this experience into a defining event in my life. He said, which in retrospect, I would not trade. My friends, trials will come. And those trials are an opportunity to be a defining moment in your life. A defining moment to draw closer to Christ. To keep your eyes on Christ. Endure. So that he will use that to refine your faith. Mature you. And make you a person of character. And I believe if you do that, you will join Horatio Spafford and sing, When peace like a river attendeth my way. Or, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, God, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great words of James. And yes, God, we're mindful that life is broken, but we are mindful that we have a hope. We are mindful that, this, that we choose to have the worldview that says, you know what, life is momentary and short, and for the short time of life, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, the beginner, the beginning, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. And God, I want to thank you for the one in this room whose trials and burdens have been heavy, yet they come week in and week out and they worship you, God, as their pastor. Man, that just lightens my heart and gives me praise to you. Thank you, God, for their endurance. And thank you, God, that you look down and you don't see trials, you see faith. And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, modeled this for us. The process, the glorification was humiliation and sacrifice. And thank you, God, that there are no wasted hurts. But you're going to bring everything together and bring glory to your name through all things. And we give you praise for that. Thank you for this great hymn that has been sung for many generations now. That no matter what we're going through, we can say, it is well with my soul. Thank you for Mr. Spafford and using his difficulties for us to join with the choruses of heaven and sing this verse, generation upon generation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church.